Everybody hear me okay? Is my mic on? The green light is on. Sorry. Green light. I have a green light. Is that better? I can hear it coming on. Yes? Good? All right. Well, good afternoon. It was earlier morning, and now it's afternoon, preaching the same message. One welcome to you if you are a visitor here. I don't normally get to speak. This is the first time I've, second time, I've been able to speak here at River City, and what a great privilege it is. I want to thank Antley, all the River City staff who've helped me and my wife uh, to heal up after a bit of a church crash, and um, they've given me this opportunity to bring God's Word to you this morning, afternoon. Hard to get out of that, isn't it? If you would turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 4, if you bring God's Word with you, then that will be great. If you don't, I'm going to test you today. Was that up there last time? Wow. (laughs) I don't know. I don't have to say that. We're going to do a long reading. That doesn't normally happen, but that's what we're going to do. I should bear with that. And I think you will begin to get it as as we go through that reading. We've been through a really exciting week, hasn't it? We've got a new president, President President-elect Obama. And I was thinking as I was listening to NPR, which is my favorite radio station. NPR is a great radio station. Because you see, I am usually very conservative and I lean theologically to the conservative side, I need NPR. <laughs> they do things for me. I, don't, I hear things through them that I wouldn't normally hear, and I need to hear. And as I was listening on Wednesday, I just was rejoicing, listening to African Americans in Chicago, weeping, rejoicing over the fact that there is now a new president, and he is a man of color, And he is the president of the United States. This Bible verse in Romans 12 verse 15 says, We should rejoice with those who rejoice. And we should be rejoicing this morning. If I speak with the the tongue of, though you can tell right now I am an Englishman. I am a legal alien here. I have a residency card in my back pocket. Okay, Just like man in black, you don't know what's really underneath this suit. It could be a big bug, British bug. But if I speak with you, I've been here in the United States. If I think in terms of being a citizen, I think this verse should speak to us. We should be rejoicing with our African-American brothers and sisters this morning. To our fellow citizens, we should be rejoicing. And yesterday I took this out of the um, Times Union. It's by Maya Angelou. And she said that when she heard the news of the declaration that Barack Obama was the winner, she said she had a visceral, physical reaction when he was declared the winner. First, I laughed. Before I could finish laughing, I wept. And then I shook. And then I thought, my God, what a country. What a country. 
And if there was any tone that I wanted to set this morning, as one who has been a recipient of much love, much grace, lots of money that has sent me to both to Bible college and to seminary from American citizens, you have a wonderful country. You are some of the most generous people I've never known in my life. And there's a great celebration that should be had this morning. Do you feel that? You should rejoice. But that Bible verse also goes on to say, and we should weep with those who are weeping. Some of you may not be feeling it. You may think very, maybe discouraging thoughts. Maybe you're in despair. Maybe you're wondering, how can you sing the Lord's song in now what has become to you maybe a strange land? In fact, that was a psalm. That's a psalm 137. It's a song that the people of Israel sang when they were taken into captivity into Babylon. They said, how, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land here? And that's what I want to address this morning. Whether you are rejoicing or whether you are in despair, what does God have to say to us? How are we to tackle that? I want to bring you to Daniel chapter 4. I want to set up the context of this. Daniel is a man who was being taken into captivity. Why? It's because God had a covenant with his people. He left his people Israel to be a represent him on the earth. He made a covenant with Abraham and with Moses and he said, I will be your people and you will be, you will be my people and I will be your God. And if you love me and you obey me, you will always live on the fat of the land and you will always have blessing. But if you disobey me, if you go to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, it will say all of these curses will come upon you. And one of those curses is, is that I will take another nation and bring them into Israel and I will take you into exile until you learn to repent. God gave himself the right to spank his people if he wanted to. Just like any mom and dad does. And that is the situation. How does Daniel and other of the Israelites worship their God and stay true to God and live in a foreign land at the same time? And that's where we come to our passage this morning. If you're listening, you can close your eyes, okay, and listen, or you can follow along. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid, and as I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians and chances and astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence 
and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous, and the tree grew large and strong, and its tops touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches, and from it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth, and let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth." You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, 
be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. And you will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Have we heard that already? We have. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Wow. That's a mouthful, isn't it? I'm thoughtful. But I believe this passage gives us information that we could not receive any other way. Because that's what God's Word is. You heard Anthony just earlier say that God not only speaks to us today through the Holy Spirit, through visions and dreams, and through promptings from within, But another way that God speaks to us, and one of His primary ways, is through His Word. And through His Word, God gives to us information that we could never, ever receive any other way. In this passage, what we see, that as the kingdoms are there, you have Nebuchadnezzar, and he comes to Israel, you see as they are on a stage all acting out. In this passage, what we actually see is the curtains on the stage that are ripped. Usually all we see are the actors on the stage, and behind them there is a curtain, and we don't see what's behind, do we? But here, God opens that curtain, and He goes, Hi, I'm here. Don't worry. I'm in control. My purposes will be fulfilled. Even though you're in exile... I'm still in control. Even though I'm spanking you, I'm still in control. And even though the one who is the spanker, I can spank him too. 
And that's what I want to lead you to this morning as we're thinking about what's going on in our country, as we think about what should our approach be to the state. Nebuchadnezzar represents all states. After Nebuchadnezzar came the Persians. After the Persians, in rapid succession, came the Greeks. And after the Greeks came the Romans. And it is in Roman times that Jesus came. He didn't overturn Rome. At least not at first. It took 300 years. And then Christianity conquered it. But not by might and power, but by love and compassion and through grace and mercy. Rome was defenseless. I want us to remember this morning three things. Remember God, remember Nebuchadnezzar, and remember Daniel. Remember, God is sovereign at all times and in all places. As you were listening, you hear what, what's happening here. As you're listening, do you hear all the repetitions in the ancient Near Eastern? They loved repetition. That's why they did it. Just as we don't like repetition, right? But they did. Over and over, you hear the same mantra. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Over and over, God, through Daniel, is speaking to his people and says, Do not worry, I will come to you. I have not forgotten you. You can serve this King Nebuchadnezzar while you're here in exile. Serve him. And I will still yet come to you. I am in control. Submit. That's one of the words I hear today. There's an application to what's going on. Submit. You hear Antley say all the time, God is not surprised. He wasn't surprised by the election winner. God is not surprised by the economy. God is not surprised. Can you believe this? Here we are. We're in a text that was written 2,600 years ago. And many of our soldiers, where are they right now? In Baghdad, Babylon. That's Iraq. Mesopotamia, the cradle of all civilization. It's a crazy situation. It's irreducibly complex. But wow, God is in control. Submit to that control. Secondly, remember Nebuchadnezzar and the deceitfulness of pride. Verses 11 and 12. Last time I preached, I didn't need these. <laughs> now I do. I can't read a darn thing. It says, The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. And on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. And from it, every creature was fed. Verse 22. It says, you, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Remember Nebuchadnezzar. And if you're tempted this morning to pride, pride is a terrible thing. The Bible comes against pride all the time and it always talks about it. God comes against pride all the time. Nebuchadnezzar he was a servant, an agent of God. Do you know that? 
God had given him authority, but that authority had gone to his head. And now as he looked out over all the hanging gardens of Babylon, that eighth wonder of the world, and he looked at it and goes, I've done all this building, all of this to do what? To glorify me. The tree that is used here is almost, it's the tree of life. I am the life giver. And what he is doing here, he's setting himself up as God. And that's what pride does, doesn't it? Pride mimics God. And when I'm God, it's like I move around. You can imagine me with this great big bubble around me. There's no, nothing can come in when I'm God. I am unique. I know all. I am omniscient. I am omnipotent. Nothing can touch me. I'm invulnerable. And God knew how to tweak Nebuchadnezzar. Have you ever had a zit on your face? God can tweak us like an overripe zit. All he has to do is just apply just a little pressure. And it's over. It's done. Relief. Seven times passed by for Nebuchadnezzar, and he had to acknowledge that there was someone bigger than him. Don't we all need that? Do you have a spouse who keeps trying to give you information and you can't hear it? I can't hear you. No information is coming in. Because you knew if you really took that information in, it would bring change and repentance into your life. So what have you got to do? You've got to keep it out at all costs. I might have to change here. But what we often do in our pride, we make everybody else change, not us. Make everybody else dance to your tune. And we're living in a wonderful time right now where we're having to take information. And that is, white power is over. Isn't that great? Let's get that monkey off our back. It's wonderful. Remember Nebuchadnezzar and the deceitfulness of pride. And pride can work two ways. You can either have pride where you're too big for your boots. Or you can have pride where you worship at the altar of your own sorrow and despair. You know, like Uriah, was it Heap and Dickens? Oh, I'm ever so humble. Oh, my despair. Oh, my party lost. Oh, whatever it might be, you begin to worship at the altar of your own sorrow and even your own sorrow, your own race, anything that it can be. We make idols out of anything can become bigger than God. And God will squeeze that zit too. God is greater than everything. And lastly, remember Daniel. Here's Daniel. My brother's called Daniel. Remember Daniel? Daniel sent me a CD this week. I hadn't heard from him for a couple of months. He sent me a CD by a band called Elbow. I have been reveling in it. Not just because of the music. Because Daniel sent it to me. And he's much better now. And thank you for loving on him, all of you who did that. He is much better now. But remember Daniel. 
What enables Daniel to speak the truth in love? That's the last thing I want you to remember. Remember God is sovereign at all times and all places. Remember Nebuchadnezzar and the deceitfulness of pride. Don't be taken in with your pride. And remember Daniel and the art of speaking the truth in love. Here is a man who had been serving Nebuchadnezzar by this time for many, many years. Maybe three decades. Thirty years. Could he have been bitter? He was ripped out of Jerusalem. He was probably from an aristocratic, I can't even say it. Can someone say it for me? Aristocratic, thank you. Family. He may have seen his brothers and sisters killed. We don't know much of his story. Daniel is presented as the ideal. He's the ideal wisdom man. He doesn't, there's not much around Daniel. But I know he could have been bitter. And here he is coming into the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar. How much longer have I got? Okay. Comes into the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was not a nice man. Throughout the book of Daniel, you'll see him as an angry man. Fearsome. When he besieged Jerusalem and took all the walls of Jerusalem down, he put a vassal, a Jew king there. The king was called Zedekiah. He's one of the last kings. This king rebelled against him. The Egyptians were coming up and saying, hey, you can rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. It'll be okay. And so he did. Nebuchadnezzar came straight down, took him, caught him in the desert. And he says, oh, by the way, as I put your eyes out, the last thing that you'll ever see is me killing all of your sons. And he killed all the princes in front of him and then put his eyes out and then took him captive back to Babylon. Cheer up. Things could be worse, right? We have nothing like that in America. We don't live under that kind of very overt oppression. We live in a wonderful country where things can change, where there is hope. It's nothing like that. But remember Daniel. How was Daniel, even in a situation like that, and there are Christians all over the world who are living in either communist countries like China, who are persecuted. What how are they to live in terms of their response to the state? What is our response to be to the state? Is to live like Daniel. How? Daniel told the truth, verse 22. Belteshazzar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel interpreted the dream, told him the truth, which was going to, what, hurt him. I mean, the chapter before is the chapter of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they were in the fire. I mean, this guy didn't mess around. But he told him the truth. But look how he told him the truth. And I think this is where we often miss things. He told him the truth in love. Daniel had a heart that through his own persecution, his own suffering, because he had been judged and his whole people had been judged, they had been taken into captivity. And it is through that pain and through that suffering and still looking to the promises of God and still looking down through the years. If you read the rest of the book of Daniel, Daniel looks to the time of Jesus and of the eternal kingdom being set up by the Messiah that they hoped for. He was able to submit himself to the authorities and to love well. He had forgiven Nebuchadnezzar. I'm convinced it's the only way he could have served them. He knew that judgment had come upon his own people. And once that judgment had come, he was still alive to tell the tale. 
and he walked probably with a limp. And he wasn't so quick to castigate and point the finger because he's still so aware of his own people's sins. And I believe that's how the church should operate. We should be the first to be repenting before we throw stones at everybody else. Remember, Daniel, as Christians, we can remember Daniel because of the true Daniel, which is Jesus, the true wise man who did not lift up a finger as he was being crucified even, when he could have called upon all the powers. There's a million angels that I can call upon right now to end this. But the gospel is what? Loss. Suffering. It is a loss of power to actually have power. God conquers through weakness. And I believe that's what we're called to. When we remember the cross, we remember our own faults. And then we can love even those who are hard to love. In the words of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the great prophet, as we close this morning, as I'm thinking about what has been said, maybe one of the mountains in your life was sensitive to the spirit we've heard in both services this morning. What are the mountains? Let me tell you. If you struggle with sex, C.S. Lewis once said, sex, eating, all the habits of the flesh, they're nothing compared to pride. Pride is sin on another scale. Listen to Jeremiah. He's close. Jeremiah 29. It's a letter he wrote to the captives. He said this, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. May the Lord bless that word to you this morning. As you leave here, Jesus is on his throne. God, his Father, is there on his throne. They're not surprised. And I believe God's word to us this morning is, go serve your city and love it well. Seek the peace of the city to which I have called you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper, just like Daniel. God bless you. As always, we're going to leave room for God to flush this out into our heart so that our life changes, so that our experience of God changes so that when we go to begin and pray for our new president, like we're commanded to do, I don't think anybody would object with that. The reality is we are called to pray for our country and the leaders that God has placed in authority, that we can do so with a heart that is true, that is real, that is in love with a king who truly reigns, that has ripped back the curtain this morning and reminded us, regardless of what you think you see, in the economy, or in the government, or wherever in your life, I'm behind the curtain.